Welcome to the Muggle Science Podcast. I'm Sukanya and today I am bringing to you a brand new episode where new person, a new climate warrior is joining us all the way from Canada, Nova Scotia. Uh, she is Meryl Black, who I had the opportunity to meet very recently in the continent of Antarctica and we bonded over the love for Harry Potter. And uh, she is, uh, she has a very interesting profile. She is a master's holder in kinesiology, which I have absolutely no idea about. Uh, so that would be interesting to know. And her previous research has spanned from nanomaterial toxicity in aquatic environment to human muscular metabolism. She is currently working for a startup called DeNova, which is a sustainable protein company. So that is, again, another cool thing. And uh, she is passionate about the environment, and that comes from the love of the outdoors. And I know that she recently had an amazing camping weekend. So Welcome, Maril. Welcome to the Mother Science Podcast. So good to have you here. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, I'm super excited to be part of the Muggle Science Podcast. Uh, I definitely sought you out when we were on the boat in Antarctica because I was super excited uh, when I read that you were you were organizing uh, the Muggle Science Podcast. I just love the title and uh, inherently knew exactly what your goal was. So I love it. Yeah. So today, Meryl is here to talk about ESG, our podcast uh, episode title today is ESG is a fad. Before going to going into what ESG means. Please tell me uh, what does kinesiology mean? Like, I have absolutely no idea about <laughs> Yeah, so uh, kinesiology is the study of human movement um, and it explores how exercise, ergonomics, and bi- body mechanics um, can be help, used to help manage or recover from injuries, increase function, overall health and well-being. Um, so my research was particularly molecular. So I focused actually on muscular metabolism. Don't ask me anything about like why your shoulder hurt to your knees because I definitely don't know, but I can tell you what's happening with like your mitochondria and (laughs) things like that. So kinesiology is just kind of the study of the body and all the different avenues. Okay. So you definitely not, maybe not in this episode, but you definitely need to tell me why does my lower back hurt so much? (laughs) I mean, part of it is because I'm getting old, I know, but, but still I want to know what is happening to my mitochondria. (laughs) Definitely. It's definitely just a life of a grad student. That is why your lower back hurts. (laughs) Guaranteed. So true. true. Okay. So getting into the space of ESG, uh, why don't you tell us what exactly is ESG in the most layman uh, terms possible? Yeah. So ESG is an acronym that stands for Environment, Social, and Governance. So ESG is a concept being absorbed by the corporate world right now. And it's strategies uh, for which companies are implementing actions towards environmental, social, and governing responsibilities. So a couple of examples of that. For environmental, um, lots of companies right now for their environmental um, action plans are working towards a net zero plan. So trying to make sure that they have very few emissions um, Mm -hmm. environmentally. Socially, an example of the social goals that they're leaning towards would be diversity within Um, within their companies and diversity at all ranges of the company. So not just, you know, the bottom junior levels, you've also got diversity at your management and your senior management levels. And then governance, 
is essentially the policies and procedures of companies that allow it to execute the environmental and social goals. So the ESG plans of companies are really designed and um, are currently being incorporated by companies to align with their values. So companies line out their values and then based on what the values the whole company holds, they then apply and build environmental, social and governing strategies. Okay, I understand it a lot better now. I just wanted to suppose for social, for the social factor that you said, it would also mean like gender equality and equal pay kind of things. Definitely. Um, diversity is just one example of a social construct or pardon me, social goal that companies are trying to implement. So yes, the gender pay gap supports and um, no discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender alignment, things like that would definitely also fall within the social goals that companies are trying to uh, implement and execute. Yeah. And uh, we all know that, you know, this is important for uh, climate justice as well in the area of climate change. Like, how do you even get interested in this? Because I have learned about it very recently. So uh, what's your background? Like, what motivated you? Yeah. So I, I really kind of stumbled into all of this knowledge. Um, so I had, like you mentioned in my bio, my undergraduate research was looking at the effects of nanomaterial toxicity um, mm-hmm. on fish in different aquatic environments. So was the toxicity worse in freshwater versus saltwater? And after that, um, I kind of shifted to a more human-based research for my master's, looking at human muscle metabolism. And after my master's, I was pretty tired and I didn't want to think very hard. So I moved to New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I lived in ski towns and I was outside and I worked in restaurants, but um, I really became impressed by the amount of accountability that New Zealand seemed to hold their products to. You know, there was a lot of products that said, you know, made it animal cruelty free when we made without parabens and made without safe for reefs and safe for waters. And it's not that Canada doesn't do that. It was just kind of one of those light bulb moments that while I was traveling New Zealand, I really just started to notice these things and really become impressed and engaged with them. So when I moved home from New Zealand, I decided to start looking into sustainability for a career path. And so I started looking for jobs and reaching out and cold calling. And that's really just how I stumbled into it. I found uh, the company that I'm currently working for, Denova, and really liked their their goals and their mission. And they were, you know, ready to bring me on board. So I just yeah. kind of stumbled into the entire the entire concept. And then once I got more involved and more educated, ESG is just the broad picture of environmentalism and sustainability from a corporate perspective, in my opinion. So yeah, that's really how I, I got into it. And it really just lined up well. Yeah, amazing that you moved to that uh, country of New Zealand. Actually, New Zealand fascinates me as well. It's in my bucket list. Uh, would love to go there. And uh, the you know governance there really impresses me as well. It's a cool country. <laughs> it's a good place to oh, yeah. ha- have the change of path towards sustainability. <laughs> 100%. I mean, Jacinda Ardern, their prime minister, is yeah. so oh my impressive. God. Big fan. Yeah, big fan. Big fan. <laughs> Yeah, big fan. So <laughs> impressive. She can rule everything. I yeah. think she's incredible. Yeah, she is. She is right after Harry Potter. She's second in the list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, second in the list of favorite people. Harry Potter, Jacinda Ardern. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so why don't you tell us about your startup, Dinova? Like you said, it makes sustainable protein, which again, sounds really cool. So uh, what is sustainable protein? What 
how does how do you make sustainable protein and how is it different from regular protein or for the audience to know better yeah so uh denova um calls itself a sustainable protein um so we are using a bacteria um to replace the unsustainable elements of traditional aquaculture feed. So when you have fish growing up in fish farms, whether it's on land or in the ocean, you do have to feed them. Um, and the feed that they use, they currently use corn and soy are large components of the protein backbone of those pellets. Mm -hmm. And corn and soy both have a large demand for land, a large water demand. And they don't have as robust of a fat um, as a protein within just naturally within their composition. And so what we're doing is we're creating using this bacteria to replace those elements. So we're using approximately 10% of the water, 10% of the land that would be required to produce the same amount of protein in corn and soy. Okay. Um, and then we have something that's a little bit more natural to the fish's life. You know, they are always eating bacteria and fish as they swim around. So it's a very natural, um, natural mm -hmm. thing for them to be ingesting. And it therefore just happens to have a good uh, nutrient profile. So trying to replace elements of, of a very, very fast growing food production and manufacturing sector to make it more sustainable upstream. That is so cool. So you basically feed uh, bacteria to the, to the marine like ecosystem, to the fish. I, I was about to say fish community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a couple steps between fish going from bacteria to fish. But yeah, exactly. It's that exact in simple terms. Yeah, we're feeding bacteria to fish so that they're okay. happy and healthy, happy and healthy. And in the at the same time, you are making the environment happy because there is lesser demands of land and other resources, which is great. Okay, so moving on to the next part, like more interesting part of the question is that are ESG regulations designed to suit each of the organizations specifically? Can they be designed like that? Yeah. So one of the um, current challenges in the ESG field is that there's no accepted standard for what components need to be reported in ESG, how they're reported, what's included in that report. Um, so there's a collection of different groups that are trying to make comprehensive guidelines and comprehensive analysis toolkits to then create ESG um, kind of goals that you can compare across companies. So yes and no, ESG regulations aren't specifically designed for a company, but they are currently being designed for industry. So I'm going to use one example of one of the groups that's helping to standardize these regulations just to keep things simple. Um, so one of them is called SASB, and they are, um, they, that is another acronym that stands for the Sustainability Account Standards Board. Um, so essentially, SASB has been adopted by a very large financial reporting standard, and mm -hmm. SASB has analyzed 77 industries, and within that, They've broken it down into categories that those industries need to be aware of and reporting on. So just to give some examples, so SASB of these 77 industries, they've got, you know, consumers goods. So you've got household products, personal products. They go as broad as financial institutions. So what banks need to be aware of, what uh, asset managers need to be aware of, mm -hmm. to communications. So anyone who's got internet or media services, and also, interestingly, they've also done 
uh, regulations for the renewable sector, you know, for solar and wind, because they're not just because they are producing good things. They're not exempt mm-hmm. to making sure that everything they do is good and holistic from yeah. the perspective. So within these industries, they've kind of broken down the topics to focus specifically on what's relevant. So if you take the food and beverage industry, they've got as part of the ESG guidelines, it's like, okay, how is your animal care and welfare? Not yeah. particularly relevant to, you know, Amazon, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> a delivery company or like yeah. internet companies, but incredibly relevant for like food and beverage. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, like data security, probably not really relevant to a farmer, um, mm-hmm. but really relevant to banks. Okay. Um, and then they also have categories that are relevant to everybody. So like greenhouse gas emissions or labor practices, you know, yeah. there's no one who's exempt from being aware and uh, taking yeah. accountability of that. So the ESG regulations are currently, there's been huge strides in the last six months to try and get standards on an international level. And then not only being adopted, but then being enforced upon companies so that their reports congruently across all fields. So it's um, ESG is definitely in its infancy and just working out the kinks, but it's it's getting a lot of traction and there's a lot of big players all trying to help make it. You said that big, big companies are looking into it and uh, they are most probably already, they have incorporated it, most of the big companies. Uh, like how much time would it take to those guidelines to be reflected in even smaller organizations, like all businesses? Uh, because ultimately that would be the future. But uh, just just a hunch, like how many years do you think it would take, like or centuries even, <laughs> for this to happen? Well, I really hope not centuries, because otherwise <laughs> we're all in, we're all in a, a we're creek. all dead. Yeah, that's the real problem. Um, yeah, I think one of the best ways to answer that is actually one of the concepts that's being wrapped into the environmental component of ESG is accountability of companies to their scope emissions. So just really briefly, there's three different types of greenhouse gas emissions. They're called scope one, scope two, and scope three. Uh-huh. So scope one, uh, I'm going to use McDonald's as an example because I figure uh-huh. everyone knows yeah. McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. So um, scope one emissions are the emissions directly from uh, the company that are directly owned or controlled by it. So if you took McDonald's as an example, it would be, you know, the greenhouse gas emissions from the company trucks of McDonald's moving their product um, between stores and, you know, all that kind of stuff, the greenhouse emissions that they directly make. Uh-huh. And then scope two emissions are the indirect emissions from the energy sources that allowed that company to function. Okay. So if you think about McDonald's, you know, they're going to have a whole bunch of ovens and fryers and all those types of things. And they're going to use electricity that they buy from the grid. And uh-huh. most grids in North America, you know, they're on coal or they're on, yeah, they're on coal usually. Mostly, yeah, mostly, yeah. <laughs> mostly on coal. Um, so uh, as much as McDonald's is not burning that coal, uh-huh. they are purchasing the energy provided by burning that coal. So uh-huh. those are scope two emissions. But then scope three are actually the emissions of your supply chain. So if you think of McDonald's, what's upstream of McDonald's? All the actual food that's grown and Uh the cows that are used to make the burgers. Uh So uh, cows are notoriously stinky animals and they're releasing methane all the time, (laughs) Um, which is a very very potent greenhouse gas. So that would be a component of their scope three emissions. Uh So 
to bring that back to your question of how long do I think this could take? Yeah. And um, what like centuries versus like hours, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of emphasis uh, within regulatory bodies and different aspects for to have companies report on their scope three emissions. I think mm-hmm. companies have really already kind of taken ownership of scope one and two that are directly theirs, but no one wants to report on their scope three because it's really, yeah. really bad. Bad, yeah. Uh, but there's a huge push for it. So I think the faster that accountability is enforced on large companies, the sooner it will have to trickle down into all their suppliers and all the small companies. Uh, to give you an honest answer, I don't know, but ESG, ESG is really only like the terminology is probably only like three to five years old and it's already yeah. getting adopted by international boards and stuff. So I think by 2030, yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. yeah, <laughs> hopefully it's definitely moving that direction. So I think by 2030, it's, it's going to be a very different world. Um, for accountability, or I certainly hope it's going to be. And then, you know, the world suggests it's going to be. Yeah. As we aim towards, uh, you know, uh, meeting all the COP26 goals, Paris Agreement goals, every all other goal that we uh, always talk about and we never, uh, you know, achieve <laughs> as governments. <laughs> but uh, hopefully <laughs> they take this up sooner so that we move in that direction. Okay, so moving on to the next question. Uh, I know that most of us have heard about corporate social responsibility, CSR. Uh, I was quite late into this, uh, like knowing this term as well. I just recently came to know in 2020 when I got selected for Antarctica, I was trying to, you know, uh, lure companies to give me funds. (laughs) So that's when I was like looking into companies, the CSR of each and every company I could think of. Uh, So how exactly is it different from ESG? Yeah, I think that's a great question because I think CSR has been around longer. So I think a lot of people have heard of it or at least have some context for it a little bit more than ESG. Corporate social responsibility is essentially the general sustainability framework of a company. Um, So it's basically their business models um, that they're trying to use to communicate how they want to execute the goals and the culture of their company. It tends to rely more on social responsibility as opposed to ESG, which also takes a much larger environmental component into its into its framework. Um, the other difference is that ESG has kind of adopted to become a measurable assessment of a company. So corporate social responsibility, people talk about it and it's a concept and this idea, whereas ESG is much more of a numbers-based thing where you're actually going to go in and You know, people are talking about, is there an ESG score? Can you get ESG score improvements? And, you know, maybe you can improve your ESG score with a subsection. They're both have similar concepts and goals. However, ESG is a little bit more of an action item list. And uh, yeah, that would kind of be my description of the difference. Got it. Uh, So like, do you think this is the time, you know, again, moving back to ESG? So why are companies concentrating on ESG now? Yeah, I think it's kind of the chicken and the egg question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there's a whole bunch. I think there's a whole bunch of factors that just kind of really started to reach a bubbling point mm-hmm. um, that opened up the opportunity for ESG to move in and move in quickly. Mm-hmm. I think that there's been a lot of social unrest, and I do have a very North American kind of view because I'm in North America. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot of civil unrest that's really been 
become very prominent um, in the last four or five years, you know, with George Floyd. Um, yeah. Not being the initiator, but definitely being a huge broadcaster of social injustice and uh, kind of maybe reigniting the flame could be a turning point would be uh, George Floyd. And I think there was also a lot of conversations about environmentalism and people as much as it seems as though people uh, companies have only started acting in the last couple of years there's been a lot of research and development in the last 10 years that's been moved into climate responsibility and now they're just actually launching the outcome of that R&D work yeah Um, but I think one of the biggest tipping points was uh, I don't know if you know about BlackRock they're one of the largest asset management uh, companies in the world if not the largest Mm-hmm. largest uh, they control seven trillion dollars worth of assets oh my god um, yeah yeah <laughs> a lot of money yeah for a, <laughs> a lot of money yeah um and so december 2020 they really made a they made a bold commitment to really put um climate change as a central factor in their investment strategy for 2021 Um, And said that they were really going to be putting emphasis on the responsibility of where they have their money. Um, Mm. And if there there had to be uh, accountability for uh, companies on their climate change strategies, because BlackRock confirmed that, you know, climate change is going to pose a very significant financial risk to companies because of Mm -hmm. all the damage and um, what is going to what climate change is going to do the planet is definitely going to affect companies and Mm -hmm. companies are not just going to walk away unscathed. So I think there was just kind of a boiling point of, you know, yeah. environmental from global conferences and reporting and people really getting to a point where we are reaching a deadline before there's no turning back. And then yeah. so environmentally and then socially, there was just a lot of yeah. unacceptable um, events that really pushed things to the forefront. So yeah. hard to say exactly why now, but I think it was just the, like the perfect storm. And uh also, like, could you give us some examples of, you know, companies who are executing ESG strategies and what exactly they are? I know you have given so many examples already, <laughs> but uh, if you could give us like actual examples of, you know, some of the companies who are executing ESG plans and strategies. Definitely. Um, so, again, I've kind of chosen companies here that I think everyone would be familiar with, or mm-hmm. at least I hope so. That's um, the best example you could give. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's no good choosing my uh, local Halifax coffee shop. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think people are really going to get on board. Um, but yeah, so um, starting with just like a social example. So Walmart is obviously an enormous company and given what they do, they hire a huge, huge number of employees and they've put uh, a lot of emphasis on diversity. Um, so starting with their 2021 annual report, they've, they've announced that they're actually working with colleges um, to engage African-American college graduates in careers for engineering and business and other um, professional type degrees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they're putting financial support into historically African-American colleges. They're validating the diversity from a uh from a gender and from a um, race perspective at all calibers of the company so it's not just we're hiring a whole bunch of people 50 percent of our company is falls under x number of categories um it's like but what they're trying to do is make sure that they have a diversity 
across the board and across all the management levels within Walmart. Um, so they're putting huge efforts into recruiting um, high caliber uh, employees, but also, you know, if they're not there yet, kind of building the backbone to make sure that they will in a couple of years. And they're reporting it really transparently, which is impressive. You can see that their their efforts, hopefully, should be fruitful. And then, you know, if you take, uh, there's the recent announcement in the United States with Roe v. Wade being overturned yeah. so that uh, abortion rights are not available. Yeah. Um, cute, lots of large companies. I think I saw a list the other day. I couldn't tell you exactly how many, but companies like Amazon and the New York Times, which employ I know large numbers of people, have put forward financial support to completely cover out-of-state abortions um, for their employees. So those would be kind of two social examples that you're currently yeah. seeing. Mm -hmm. um, but then from an environmental standpoint, Hewlett Packard. So they're a company that makes, uh, as much as people might not realizing they're using their products all the time, people use them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, printers, computers, any kind of office tech, uh, like Hewlett Packard makes some kind of variation. Uh, Hewlett Packard's put a lot of emphasis on upcycling. Yeah. Uh, so they're using recycling programs and initiatives uh, to collect waste, uh, plastic mm -hmm. waste, and then they're using that to recycle it back into yeah. their products. So that's one example. You also have companies, uh, I'm using Amazon twice, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Uh, and it's just, it's just because Amazon, you know, it's, it's so ubiquitous across the world. Uh, yeah. But Amazon has just bought enormous plots of land in Australia to, mm -hmm. uh, to set up solar, solar panels to help mm -hmm. uh, reach their operations within Australia as carbon neutral. Okay. Um, so everything will be, their scope one and scope two emissions will all mm. be negated by the solar panels. Um, okay. okay. So, yeah. So those are just a couple examples of like the environmental and the social. And then for governance, it is a little bit harder uh, to quantify. The best way I've had governance described to me is, mm -hmm. you know, you have your environmental and your social goals. And then your governance is how how you pay for those goals mm -hmm. and who's actually going to follow through on those goals. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit harder to provide concrete examples. But one of the big ones is, and this falls within governance, but also social, is having uh, diversity within your board of directors and your, your top leadership, considering yeah. their role within the company is mostly governance. Um, that's considered a governance goal. Um, but simultaneously, actually confirming that your supply chains are following the same values that you are. Um, yeah. So if you were to take a jeweler's company, it's making sure that the elements that you're using for your jewelry are coming from labor on like safe labor practices and you yeah. know, well paid employees and yeah. um, none of the sketchy avenues that are available which falls more, it's a social responsibility, but uh, there could be an argument that it kind of falls under governance as well, because it's kind of auditing what you do upstream, uh, making sure that the people with whom you're working are being responsible as well. Like interesting examples, uh, I almost got goosebumps when you said about Roe versus Wade, this, uh, it was outrageous, the decision. And I, although I'm uh, nowhere near United States, it uh, affected me as a woman. And we think uh, ESGs are for companies, but ultimately it boils down to individual individuals because, you know, the employees are getting affected or having a diverse uh, 
you know panel in all across all stages in a company suppose in managerial position or in the board of directors or even to the lowest positions is important because it's the minorities who get affected the most who are the most vulnerable to climate change i feel what i have got from whatever you have uh, you know told us today is that esg is basically like a like your best friend who would probably keep you grounded you know it would keep you grounded it would try to uh, tell you that uh, not to divert from your deviate from your path and uh, to you know basically if you uh, drunk dial your best friend and they tell you that you shouldn't call back your ex so esg is that in a very simple term it, in this case it would tell the companies that you should stick to your values and you should do good i think at, i agree <laughs> right i love that analogy it's hilarious Yeah, I think it really is. It's just it's kind of just like an accountability game of like, hey, you yeah. said you're going to do this. You should actually do it. Yeah. Um and you should do it and we're all watching you do it. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True. Uh any like new social trend uh, or government trend that uh, the in audience might be interested to know uh, based like, you know, just to if they're interested in this topic of ESG? Yeah, I think those would be uh I think the examples that I've given are kind of like a lot of the big mm-hmm. big trends. Mm-hmm. Um that yeah, so like the net zero action plans for sure. But for sure uh you know, given um the crisis in Ukraine and the prices of oil and gas, there's a huge depending on what you're reading and uh your perspective of optimism versus pessimism. There is definitely moments yes people are digging making more sites for oil and gas but uh, yeah. there also is increased um timeline for p- countries to move to more renewable energy yeah. um you know the good with the bad as with everything so that would be like a big trend yeah and i think you know the diversity in the social the supply chain are really really big yeah uh do you do you suggest any kind of ebook or you know website to look into this uh, like you know you g- gave us such amazing examples so d- we can just google search it if you're interested to know or you know do you have any uh, nice credible sources where uh, the audience might find more information if they're interested yeah i will admit that uh, going straight to google is it's difficult yeah. um it it's definitely you don't always know where the information's coming from and the accuracy um i think one of the biggest things that i i did when i was trying to start learning about this was just picking a couple of big companies and key companies and actually reading their report you know some of them are really really long but mm-hmm. uh you know it just kind of gives you a starting point but i recognize that's probably not a great use of everyone's time um <laughs> so <laughs> uh i would say i personally uh subscribe to two things that get delivered to me daily The first one is Bloomberg Green, which unfortunately is not free. Um, okay. It just gives a daily kind of update and it's not specifically ESG, mm-hmm. uh, but it's just kind of sustainability in general um and its global perspective. And then the second one I uh, subscribe to is McKinsey and Company. McKinsey and Company are free. You any anything that you find by them is going to be high caliber um and you can definitely trust the information and where it's coming from. So those would be probably two of my big ones. Um, okay. Also, I mean any podcast, S&P 500, they have a podcast and the title is slipping my brain right now. Um, but S&P 500 have a podcast that uh that definitely is also high caliber and specifically ESG. So if you go looking for that one, that would be a really good source. 
Great, great to know because uh, I would definitely look into it because I have very limited knowledge and uh, today I got to know a lot and uh, finally coming to debunking the title ESG is a fad. Well, like I'm sure our audience have understood that it is not uh, a fad. Uh, it is very important and it again boils down to every individual in a company. They, for their well-being, for the for the environment that they live in, for the community that they belong to, and for, you know, the governance sector, again, is the governance of ESG is a bit complicated, but it's a vertical that crosses both the social and environmental sectors. But uh, it is very important. It is important that we move in that direction. And uh, again, to be grounded for the companies, because companies are the largest emitters, you know, big companies are the largest greenhouse gas emitters. And, uh, it is often, you know, stereotyped as a millennial fad. And it's like, oh, they have come up with a new term now, ESG. Initially, it was CSR. And now, you know, so one which, which is only suited for younger people. But uh, it is not. Yeah, I think that I hope that our episode and our conversation was able to, you know, uh, debunk the title and uh, uh, move in that direction and hopefully uh, you know not uh, hopefully not in century hopefully it would uh, take place very soon you know that transformation yeah thank you Meryl really really great uh, interesting conversations I thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, if I was asking you stupid questions sorry because I had absolutely again no knowledge of this area and uh, thank you so much that you threw so much light on the topic. Oh, you're very welcome. And no, your questions were actually great. They were, uh, they were really inquisitive. So I think they really did. I hope at least that they gave a pretty broad perspective for everybody to, you know, just dip their toe in the waters because it's, uh, it's certainly an overwhelming topic. And the more you dive into it, the larger and larger you kind of realize it is. So hopefully this gave everyone at least a starting point. And uh, I'm super happy to be on this. And if we didn't do a good job, then I'll just have to come back. You did a fab job, but we'll we'll love to get you again here. Probably Swagata would love to interview you again for something else. So <laughs> learned a lot, learned a, a lot of new terms. So thank you so much. And yeah, that's it for today's episode. I hope uh, you listened and enjoyed uh, listening to it. And see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you. 